thank you. I just want to say thank you very much. Oh, hey, um, I appreciate the worship this morning. Did you enjoy the worship this morning? Heartfelt. I appreciate it. Um, so last month was the first time I got a chance to meet Drew, and uh, I called, actually we did a little Facebook messaging back and forth, and I, I, he had an opportunity to meet me in Conway. And so I took off work a couple hours, and I was running a little bit late, and so I uh, got over to Blue Cell, the coffee house there in Conway, and he was waiting on me for about 10 minutes, and I thought, oh man, he's going to think I'm this slug guy who doesn't show up on time, this kind of first time to meet. And I get there, and I'm in a hurry, and I get out, lock my truck, and then I freeze. And I just kind of melt. I lock my keys in my truck. <laughs> and and I, honestly, I did it before, like a week, month earlier, and I forgot to put a little, you know, uh, key on a little magnetic box under my truck. I forgot about that. And I thought, oh, no, so, so stupid. And I, so I, I had to go inside Blue Cell. And right when I was like, hey, Drew, how are you doing? Hey, by the way, would you mind giving me a ride back to, to work? when we finished talking here, and it worked out really good. And so the, Drew took me back to work, and we had a good prayer time, a good discussion there at Blue Cell. And uh, it ended well because Carrie and my son Ross came all the way to Conway and got my truck unlocked for me while I was at work because I couldn't get it. But, uh, so I appreciate that. But that was a day I had. And I, I want to share with you a little bit of what um, Pastor Drew and I got a chance to talk about that day. Um, but before I do, I, I really sincerely just want to say thank you. Thank you, uh, Pastor Drew, for letting me come. You know, surrendering your pulpit is no small matter, and I thoroughly understand the um, privilege of it, and I'm humbled by the opportunity you give me. Uh, Drew had me come up to South City uh, last week, I believe, and I got the chance to meet the other pastors here, uh, Pastor Daryl and Pastor Elvis, and uh, Pastor Jerry wasn't able to make it. But I tell you, they talked about you. They did. They always did. They did. <laughs> and uh, I want you to know they highly esteem you, brother, and they talk very highly of you, and they love you, and they truly honor you in your presence and in your absence. And I'm honored uh, to be here, and thank you for uh, letting me come. So my name is Myron Milholland, as, as Drew had um, graciously introduced me, and we are about three months into planting uh, Grace Community Church. It's been an amazing journey. Uh, I want to share with you a little bit. It happened for me, started about 10 years ago at the Baptist Missionary Seminary in Jacksonville, Texas. And while I was there in a missions class, leaving the class and going to the dorm, uh, Nick Parrish was with me. And I said to Nick, Nick, we need to plant a church. And he just laughed it off. He said, yeah, that'd be great. Well, we had just learned and God had just, I mean, put a seed in my heart that the most effective way of reaching the world is planting new churches. It's the most effective way of, of evangelism, and it's the most effective way of reaching a lost world is to plant new churches. And at that day, I don't know, God just put it in me uh, about planting a church. Well, uh, so, so time went on. It was about 10 years ago, and I'm pastoring a small church in Quitman, Arkansas, and I never uh, could shake it. I would even mention it to Carrie, and, and uh, she would just quietly listen and be calm about it and smile and say, yes, but you're pastoring a church now, so let's concentrate on the present. And then I would drive by some vacant buildings, 
And I'll be like, man, let's, uh, let's, that would be a great place for a location for a church. And I was just dreaming, and I was just constantly thinking about it. So I, I told other guys like Micah Powell and, and Sam Husky and, and guys like that, I would just say, we ought to plant a church. Kent Schreiber, I think you went to church with him. And, and so all these guys, none of that happened. But I'm just trying to say is that God never let that off um, hit my radar. He planted that, and it's been there. Well, uh, God, in his all foreknowledge and his providence, uh, created an opportunity for us at Needs Creek where kind of a divine uh, instance happened. And so we left Needs Creek, and I really didn't know where to go, what to do. So I've been praying, and so I dedicated myself to a season of prayer and fasting and searching. And, and um, I asked God, I said, Lord, I'm not sure what I'm going to do next. I don't know. Uh, I know about this church planting uh, dream that I have. It may be now. It may be way down the road. I may need to go back to some more seminary. I may need to uh, maybe pastor another church in the area. And so uh, I just asked the Lord, would you just call my wife too? Would you just let her be on board with, with me that I don't have to drag her uh, into a ministry that might be hard? Um, and so the Lord did that. He answered my prayer. So we were, we were picking up rocks, and, uh, and Carrie mentioned this. Uh, Pastor Drew had an article in the Missions Magazine that she had just read. And while we were out there picking up rocks, she mentioned the fact. She said, uh, I read an article about South City Church in Little Rock, where that's a replant from the Temple Baptist Church. And she just read about Drew and his vision uh, for the church and what was going on here and all the good things. And he made a comment. He, it was a dream comment. It was one of those dream comments that he put out there. Uh, for the world to hear. And uh, in that comment, he said that he would love to see South City um, plant 10 churches in the, in the next 10 years. That's a phenomenal statement. That's like nobody says that, you know, it's like way out there. But Carrie made the comment, and that was the first time she said it. She said, maybe we could start going to South City, and who knows, we might could become um, a church plant from South City. And that was the first time that she mentioned church planting as a real thing. And so at that point, um, I knew the Lord had begun to align our hearts, and I was praising God for that. I didn't really know where to go next. So we had a few people that were interested, a few friends and things like that. So we invited them to come to our house for an inquiry meeting, and we just said, we don't really know what, if we're going to plant our church or not, but we want you to pray about it. So I, I gave them a 40-day prayer journal and a revival, personal revival, and I said, just walk through this 40 days with me and pray if you would, about this. And, and they did, and we came back, and God uh, uh, let me hear from four of the churches, two, two um, and one in Malvern, one in Magnolia, one in, uh, uh, and two in Greenbrier area. And I went and preached to two, two in Greenbrier area, and the other two are too far away. And God just did not lead me there. It was just like no spirit moving of me to go there. And so, honestly, it was almost the opposite, right? Like, leave. And so, and so uh, that wasn't for us, and we had prayed and searched. Then we read uh, a book together called Deep and Wide uh, by Andy Stanley. Dr. Charles Stanley's son, Andy Stanley, wrote the book. And so uh, it's about church planting, and it really changed our perspective on reaching people and how to, how to do it and why do it. Um, and that even though you're in an area where there's a lot of churches, planting new churches is important because you're reaching different types of people in an up-and-coming, a new, changing world and changing culture. And so to reach people, you need to plant new churches. And we read that. We were, we were both convinced that we should, um, we should do this. So we got back together with 
the group, and I said, I, I really believe the Lord has called us to church plant, and we just want to know if you want to go with us. If you do, great. If not, that's fine. And they were like, we're on board. We're on board. And so that's where, that was day one. And I, I've been, uh, uh, I, I read a book from Mark Basterson, Chasing the Lion. I read it over vacation. Another thing that God helped use other than scripture and prayer and fasting, and he said, if your dream is, um, uh, and, and he says, Chasing the Lion, if your dream is, uh, doesn't scare you, it's too small. If your dream doesn't scare you, it's too small. And so I was challenged by that, and I knew that, you know, it's okay. Uh, I don't really know what you want, Lord, but I'm in. I'm, I'm in. I'll do it. And so we jumped in. We've been coming here periodically. Of course, I work at the fire station, and, and we've been planning a church, and I've been visiting other churches and preaching other places. But I'm just, there's something about South City uh, that has attracted us here. And uh, I'm, I praise God for that. There's, there's, um, there's life here, and you can tell there's a difference when it comes to that kind of life. Let's tell you a little, bit, a little bit more about us real fast, and that is the fact that we, um, we're planning a church called Grace Community Church, and I want to share the vision with you quickly. And, and the, the vision is we want to be a, a church that's passionate about making disciples, growing in grace, loving people, and praising God at home in our community, and across the globe. And I really believe that is the heart of the scripture of the church of today. That, and even your mission, vision statement, has making disciples that make disciples. And I think that is the number one key uh, ingredient that churches need. And, but this cannot be pulled off on our own effort. It can't be pulled off with just great people um, great staff. You really need the input, the influx, the um, inspired Holy Spirit in it. Uh, so uh, today we're actually having our third worship experience at Camp Beaver Fork uh, between Conway and Greenbrier. Uh, so we're meeting tonight at 4.30. And I'm going to um, kind of unveil a couple of our three, uh, three um, core values or our guiding principles. And, and they are for us to show grace which means to, to be gracious to people and to love people and to show more mercy than judgment. And, and second is to, be, uh, to give generously. I want to be a generous church. I don't want to just hoard it for ourselves. I want to give it and let to see the kingdom of God grow and expand and reach people in places that, that go beyond us. And, and not only that, but I think thirdly, we need to be life-giving. Life-giving. And this one's uh, the one I want to talk to you about today. So today's message really is uh, the Holy Spirit, the life giver, um, the life giver. So I believe a church should be life-giving. Uh, it really shouldn't just be the Holy Spirit. We shouldn't just say the Holy Spirit's the life giver. Honestly, you can say that God is the life giver, and you'll be correct. You can say Jesus, the Son of God, is the life giver, and you could be correct. And you can say the Holy Spirit is the life giver, and you would be correct. And honestly, they don't contend about it. Uh, honestly, Jesus has given God and the Holy Spirit credit for life giving, and, and God the Father has given Jesus and the Holy Spirit credit for life giving, and the Holy Spirit now gives God the Father and Jesus credit for life giving. They all give each other credit for life giving, they're all the one and the same anyway, right? But I want to talk about the Holy Spirit today, and He is here. And he operates in Christians and he operates in churches that are truthful and biblical and New Testament churches that are founded on the grace, among the word of God. Um, I want to talk to you about 
the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is a controversial Godhead, and a lot of denominational lines have been drawn because of their understanding of the Holy Spirit or misunderstanding of the Holy Spirit. It's a mystery sometimes to us. And so I, I don't plan on clearing all that up for you. You'll go home still having more questions probably to answer, to answer than you have answered. But, but I want to introduce to you a characteristic of the Holy Spirit that I think is very important to us, and that is the life-giving characteristic of the Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bibles, I think they're going to put it on the screen. I want to walk you through a few things. The word for spirit in the language of the Bible means breath. It means wind, uh, spirit. It's the kind of thing that you can think of, the, the kind of air that moves. And even on the day of Pentecost, you remember that there was a great mighty rushing wind that filled the place where they were. And, and it's kind of breath that God breathes life into things. And I want to show, show you uh, some of the things here, kind of build that point for you. So we're going to start in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. And so there you see it says, And the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. So you see that God took the dust of the ground and the mud and the dirt. And so, God, God, you know, when you, when you say you are dirty and filthy, you need a bath. You need to remember, we came from dirt and filth, and it's just part of our nature. And so, you, God breathed life into, into us. The problem is, after this, people sin, sin, Adam and Eve sinned against God, and sin entered the world, and therefore we became separated from God. And our... We had a death sentence placed upon us because of the sin that entered into man. We are all guilty. All are guilty of sin, and the wages of sin is death, and there's a problem. And Jesus addressed this issue in John chapter 3. So that's where I want to go next, John chapter 3. It's the event where Jesus was talking to Nicodemus. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night, and oh, I should read my Bible. We'll read this real quick. I want to read the part where it says, And there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So Jesus answered and said, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old, can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he, can, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. I don't want you to miss this. Jesus says it twice. Truly, truly, assuredly, verily, verily, however he's saying it, he's saying, pay attention. He's saying to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
And we're talking about the kingdom of God as becoming a member of the kingdom where God reigns and is king and Jesus reigns and is king. And this is someone who enters into a relationship with Jesus Christ, who becomes a, a believer in Jesus Christ, okay? But without being born again, uh, you cannot even see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus says, how can this be? And he says, listen, it's a spiritual birth. Look at what he says. He says it again in verse 8. I'm sorry, verse 5. Assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, which is the flesh and um, our human nature, and the spirit. So now we have to be born of the spirit in order to enter the kingdom of God. So it's kind of mysterious for some of us. We don't really understand this kind of spiritual transaction, this kind of spiritual birth. How do we become, become born of the Spirit? I'm not real sure. Is there some kind of spiritual experience we need? Or is there some kind of baptism we need to do? Or is there some kind of rites we need to recite? And, and he answers it in the same conversation that he has with Nicodemus. And so I want you to just skip now with me. We'll go down a few lines to line of. 14. And it says, Jesus says this. He says, well, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So the quick background here, the children of Israel disobeyed God and God had sent these serpents, these venomous vipers out into the camp and it bit several of them and they were dying on the desert floor. And they were was, was scorching their skin in the sand. And Moses was crying out to God, would you save these people? So God says, if you, will, if you will make this golden serpent on a pole. Interesting, that sign is still used today, right, in the back of ambulances and medical profession and journals. That snake in the pole. It's that healing, right? So he lifted that up. And when the children of Israel looked to that serpent, that gold serpent on that pole, that God would uh, save them and they would not be uh, uh, destroyed by the venomous creatures. Well, in the same way, he's saying that Jesus must be lifted up on the cross and that those who have been bitten by the venomous serpent, Satan himself, which includes all of us, that we are all under sin, we are all cast uh, away, we have all been bitten by the sin of Satan. And if we will look up to Jesus who died for the sins of the world, then we would be saved. And that's the illustration he's showing here. So to carry on his conversation that whosoever or whoever believes in him should not perish, should not die, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. If you realize that you are on the floor of the desert dying from sin in your life and there's no hope for you you need to know there is hope for you and it's in the son Jesus Christ who died on the cross for you and for your sins and you need to be born again in order to enter into the kingdom of God how do you become born again I want to just reaffirm to you if you would recognize your sin state repent of that and trust in Jesus Christ alone on the cross, you can be saved. 
There may be some here this morning who that's where you are. You've been bit and you're feeling the pain and the death and the decay of your soul. And you realize that you're a, you're a goner. And if you were to die today or, or anytime soon without dealing with the Lord, that you would go to hell. But I want you to know that that's the reason Jesus came. God so loved you so much that he sent Jesus to the cross to pay your penalty for you, pay your death sentence for you. So now all you have to do is look to him. He paid your death sentence for you. He paid the penalty of your sins on the cross. His payment was sufficient and satisfied God's wrath. And now you can trust in him alone for your salvation. And the Bible says when you do that, you will be saved. And you can be saved today. Maybe even today, maybe even after the service, you can contact one of the pastors here. I'll be available. And you, your Sunday school teacher, whoever might be available, your small groups leader, that you can come to see them, help them, um, have them lead you into the Word so you can be saved. That would be a wonderful thing, wouldn't it, if somebody were to be saved today? Uh, so that is this life-giving spirit. It's the being born again. It's this being born of the spirit concept. And that is available to you through the transaction of the Holy Spirit where he makes that, he takes the sin away from you and gives it to Jesus on the cross. And he takes Jesus' righteousness from him and he gives it to you from the cross. And that's only a spiritual transaction that only be done if you're born of the spirit. But I want to show, show you that this is not just true for you personally, but it's also true for groups. And originally we see it in Ezekiel 37, or at least that's a good illustration. So Ezekiel 37, it's talking about the children of Israel, God's people, that he's dealing with. And I want you to notice some, something in this passage. I want you to see the word that God uses for his spirit. And I want you to hear it and maybe recognize it being said. So I want to read the chapter to you, okay? Or at least 14 verses. And it's, uh, the hand of the Lord came upon me, which is Ezekiel, and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley and it was full of bones. And then he caused me to pass by them all around. And behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So he answered, O Lord God, you know. Again he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you skin and put breath in you and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So I, being Ezekiel, prophesied and I was, as I was commanded and as I prophesied, there was a noise and suddenly a rattling and the bones came together and the bone to bone. And indeed, as I looked, the sinews of the flesh came upon them and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. And also he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and, and breath came into them, and they lived, and stood upon their feet an exceedingly great army. 
Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, O my people, I will open your graves and I will cause you to come up from your graves and bring you to the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves. O my people, and be... Um, be, and brought you up from the graves, and I will put my spirit in you, and you shall live. And I will place you in my own land. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, says the Lord. The children of Israel were dead, lifeless, struggling. They couldn't get any traction. They were de being defeated. And God says, I'm going to resurrect these children of Israel of mine, and I'm going to put my breath into them, and they're going to live, and they're going to know I am the Lord. And the same is true today for Jesus' church. The same is true today for those whom Jesus has died for and has called into existence to be his hands and feet on the earth. And one day he will come back and claim his own, his bride, his children. But we have a lot of institutions. We have a lot of bodies. We have a lot of lifeless churches. We have a lot of bodies with organization, with structures, with, with uh, um, processes and people and money. But there's maybe no life there if the Holy Spirit is not among them. And one of the things that I notice about South City is from just a, a visitor point of view, for after we left um, Nietzsche Creek, where we were, we visited several churches. And when we came here, we, we could immediately say to one another, there's life here in this church. And that just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen by just having good vision, good preaching, good you know, structures, good um, music. It happens when the Holy Spirit is here. He breathes that life into the body. And, 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 I, and I want you to know, that I, I can remember us coming in here, so, so some things that, you know, it's hard to put your finger on it, right? It's hard to put your finger on it. You speak of it, then you think, well, my, you know, it's hard to say. How do you know? It's kind of like the wind. You go outside, you don't see it, but you can see the effects of it and you can feel it. And that's kind of the way it is. And so when we, we came here, I mean, we had people greeting us, smiling, saying, hello, how are you doing? We're glad you're here. Genuinely glad we were here. And, and honestly, I believe the first time we were here, I'm going to embarrass somebody up in here, but, they, but, but I remember you. It was um, Sonny and Mary Ned Foster. They, they met us in the foyer and just cap captivated us, and, and we had a chance to have a good conversation. And that doesn't usually happen in churches when you just visit. So I want to say thank you to you. But, but that's what you need. And not only that, when we got here and there's hot coffee and people are mingling and, and you come into the worship service and it's not just singing. It's not just going through the motions. It's not just lifeless. There was life. You could tell they prayed about it. You could tell they, they love it. They live it. And then you could just feel that spirit was really among us. I could see people in worshiping with their hands raised and they were just soaking it in. And you can tell 
smell that God was among us here. And then uh, the preaching was, was passionate and, and life-breathed, and it was something that was connecting with us. You know, we... Um, we don't, usually take the pra- we don't usually practice observing the Lord's Supper outside of our church, but at the time, we didn't have a church. We were here and didn't know you were going to offer the Lord's Supper, and you opened it up to, to us, and, and we, we just felt like you were family. And so we felt the presence of the Lord here, and so we just observed with you, and it was a joy. It was a joy to be in fellowship and worship and communion together with you. But there, there is just, I want you to know that there is something special here at, at um, South City Church. And the one thing I would say is special is there's life here. There's, the Holy Spirit is the life giver and you can tell he is among you here. And I, and I praise God for that. I praise God for that. Um, I want to share with you another passage or two. So go to Romans 8. Romans 8. You have it on your screen. It's just a verse. You don't have to. You can go there if you have it. It's your Romans 8, 11. And, um, and there it says, But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. So this is only true for those who have confessed their sins, repented of them, were sorrowful for them, acknowledges them fully, takes ownership of them and says, Lord, I have sinned against you, but I know that you died on the cross for my sins. I want you to forgive me of my sins and I want you to come into my heart. That's only true for those who have been born again, born of the Spirit. But if the Spirit of him, of Jesus, if the Spirit of Jesus who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who uh, raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. Your life is f- from the source of the Spirit. And you have, Christian, the power of the resurrection inside of you. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. Is in you. That's amazing. Um, a couple of cool things that's happened here recently uh, for us within our three months, early three months, is we've had two come to Christ. And I praise God for that since we've started. One was a, a man who was struggling in his marriage. He came over to my house, and he was really just wanting marriage advice, or actually he was wanting me to actually side with him on his marriage side so he could go in and have more power. The preacher agreed with me, so you should do these things. And he came, and I said, let's not really go there. Let's just talk about you. And so we talked about him and, and his sin and his need for Jesus. And he left my house having uh, received the gift of God through Jesus Christ, through his faith in Jesus Christ. He repented of his sins and he gave his life to Christ. And he sat there, he knelt there at my dining room table and gave his heart to Christ. And uh, we didn't do much more merit advice than that. That's, you can't, fit, I, said, I told Carrie, I said, his need is not a better marriage. His need is a relationship with Jesus. That's his need. His marriage is going to end one day. 
His soul is going to live forever. That's the most important thing. But anyway, he's gone back, and they're still in church, and they're coming to Grace Community, and I praise God for the growing grace in their family. And we've had another, a young girl, a teenage girl, who has had struggles, and she's been dealing with depression, and she went to her small group leader, and her small group leader said, um, you got a problem. She goes, yeah, I know. And she said, well, I don't think you're saved. She goes, I'm not. And she said, well, we need to talk about that. And so she led her through the gospel and little Maddie gave her life to Christ there at the Bible study. And I just praise God for that. I mean, it's wonderful. This cannot happen in our own effort. This can only happen in the power of the Holy Spirit making the new life, bringing people from death to life from lost to found. Uh, there's a verse I want to I share with you, 2 Timothy. And 2 Timothy is, the, that is the book, by the way, that God used to begin to do wonderful things in my life. 2 Timothy. Um, here it says this, 2 Timothy 1, 6 I'll do, I'll do 16, then we'll go to 7. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying out of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Let me give you a quick background here. Paul, the powerful church planting preacher of the day, full of the Holy Spirit, bold and strong, has found himself in prison. And his mentor, his mentee, uh, protege, his young, young, young Padawan, right? Uh, uh, yeah, is, is Timothy. And, and Timothy, is he's timid by nature. And when he's found out that the boldness of his hero has placed him into prison, into such one, such one that he may not get himself out of, it discouraged him. It disappointed him, it damaged him, it made him withdraw into fear. And so Paul is encouraging him to come to him, but he's also encouraging him to get come out of hiding. It's okay. Yes, I'm in prison, but be of good courage. Do this. If the power of God is greater than any kind of suffering that I have, he actually calls Peter, I'm sorry, actually calls Timothy into sharing in the suffering. It's worth it, he's saying. It's worth it. And so that's the context that you have that Paul is actually in prison writing this letter to Timothy to encourage Timothy, who's not in prison. Isn't that interesting? But he was in his own prison. But I, but I want to share this with you because a lot of times, whether you're lost and you have no wind and you have no breath in you and you are the walking dead without Christ, or you're a Christian and you have found yourself in a place where the wind hasn't blown very much lately and you've gotten discouraged and you've gotten fearful and you've grown timid like Timothy has. Did you know there's a place called the doldrums? And I just learned about this. It's around the equator. It's where the northern winds meet the southern winds. It's like the northern hemisphere and the southern hemisphere where the winds collide and they actually make an updraft, okay? And it's interesting that on the surface of the ocean, it's calm. The winds are like cancel out. Like there's no wind. And sailors used to sail the open sea. And if they found themselves in the doldrums, they would get stuck there in a windless area 
where they would die and not get out of because the sails are up and there's no wind. And a lot of times what happens to even Christians is we get in a place where the wind hasn't blown very much very hard very lately. We don't, we feel like we're working against the wind. You know, I had some leaves. Anybody had any leaves in your house or your yard lately? Wow, I had a ton. I was working a couple of extra shifts and my leaves piled up and I came home and I thought, my wife, she's going to think that we had the worst house on the block. We probably do because I've been gone, hadn't break these leaves. And so I had things to do and I, I ran to Conway and I was getting, I, I was at Chick-fil-A and I should be home raking leaves, right? I'm at Chick-fil-A and, and I see the wind and their hair, they're outside, you know, Chick-fil-A's crowded and they're outside, they're making um, orders and bless their heart, these girls who are doing orders, their hair is just going crazy. The wind was whipping it big time. And I get home, praise God. All my leaves on my driveway are gone. I mean, I mean, isn't that great? The wind just took those leaves right out of there. And I'm like, thank you, Lord. I needed that help. I needed that help. But there was a little bit of leaves right there by my um, garage door. The wind was still blowing. You know what I did? I got my rake and said, I better get out there right now. Right now, while the wind is whipping it, and I get out there, and I'll tell you what I did. I got my rake, and I was like, hit it as hard as I could, and I got that, those leaves up in the air, and the wind just went, and took those leaves right on out of there, and it was like a raking on steroids, wow, 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 and it was great. I had my, my leaves picked up in no time. I was working with the wind, the power of the wind. I was working where I was in line and in line with the wind. And I mean, it was a joy. A lot was happening. Have you ever raked leaves against the wind? Have you ever a leaf, blow, a leaf blower against the wind? It don't work so good. It's frustrating. But when you turn and you go with the wind, it's joy. It's fast. It's easy. Jesus says, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, come unto me, and I will give you rest. Learn of me. Right? My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. When you are in the Spirit, when you are working with the wind, you throw your sail up, you get the boat, your ship gets to moving. When you get to raking and you have a burden to take care of, he'll lift it and wash it right away. You can frustrate yourself all day long, go against the Spirit, and you're not going to get anything accomplished. But when you get in line with the Spirit of God, the power of God, the love of God, the truth of God, he begins to make things happen in your life. I want you to look what he says to him. He says, fan the flame. That's another translation. Fan the flame of the gift of God which is in you. And I think there could be some people here and I just want to encourage you, okay? That God has given you a gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And in that gift of the Holy Spirit, he's enabled you, he's empowered you to do some manifestations of the Spirit. He's given you some gifts personally that you can use to operate in, to help edify and build and strengthen other people in the church. You can make a positive impact if you get in line with the Spirit and the gift that God has given you, and you can move many things and help many people. And I want to encourage you, when you are here at, at South City Church, Right? That you not only are a recipient of the life giver of the Holy Spirit, not only soaking in all of what God has for you, I want to encourage you that you be a dispenser of life, that you be a giver of life, that God is the life giver. And now that you have the same spirit that dwells in you, that dwells in Jesus, that raised him from the dead, you too have life-giving characteristics, qualities inside of you. And you can give those away 
You can, you can invest in people. You can give. And I was just trying to think of, oh, what were some things that, that you could do? And he tells him that you don't have a spirit of fear. So I want to encourage you to have a spirit of courage, to have a spirit of power, love, and wisdom, and truth. I want you to take what God has given you. Maybe you are one who's been in the doldrums. Maybe you're someone who's not operated in your spiritual gift lately. I want to encourage you to pick it back up. I want you to fan the flame of that, of that spiritual gift that you have, the gift that God has given you, the Holy Spirit, the life-giving uh, quality that he's given you. I want you to do with that and use it. What is it that you do? Do you cook? Cook for the glory of God, right? You know, what do you do? Do you, um, are you great with people? Then interact with people. Are you a good listener? Listen well to people. Are you good caring? Care. Do you give well? Give for the kingdom. What do you do? Are you sing? Sing to the glory of God. What do you do? Pray? Pray without ceasing. Pray constantly for your pastor and for the church and for other people who are hurting. What do you do well? Are you a great teacher? Teach. Do you need to go and be a missionary? Go and be a missionary. What do you need to do? What gift has God given you to organize? Are you an organizer? Then come to my house. You know, what do you do? Not, not my house, my shop. Not my house. My Carrie's the house, and she keeps the house organized. But she's not allowed in my shop because it's so bad. I always feel bad about myself. So if she doesn't make me feel bad, I just always personally feel bad. But my shop needs organized, so you can come to my house. So use my, my garage. You can use the gifts that God has given you. And what you're doing is you're giving life. Through the gift of the Holy Spirit in you, you're giving life back to other people. You, because you have received the life-giving power of God, and you are now His forever, be a life-giver in response. Our musicians are coming and I want to pray for you. My Father in heaven, I just am thankful for the wonderful opportunity you've placed in my heart. I'm thankful that you work. You're real. That you give life. Lord, I'm praying for those who are here. Is there someone here? Father, you know him and you know her who needs to be saved, who needs to know they have a place in heaven, who needs to know that they can be loved by you and forgiven by you, and you can give them life-giving spirit. Are there others who are here who have been sitting by the wayside, who have been without wind and fresh air? Lord, I pray that you breathe into them anew, afresh, and give them courage, and let them serve in the spirit. Thank you for this life-giving church. Help us receive the life you have for us and help us give it in response. In Jesus we pray.